Hello, boys and ghouls. And welcome to our October episode, where we present three topics, each worthy of the season where the nights grow long, the dead visit, and the fifth most popular costume for pets is the devil. Listen closely as we explore the phenomenons of a tree full of jack-o'-lanterns, silly spooks that sit by your side, and a Halloween special that came on late at night. So join us as Cat and Marshall celebrate the Halloween season with a goodie bag of those things that make the cheerful fearful and turns boys and ghouls into Halloweenies. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Ain't nothing but dead folks. I want to kill the undead. So you ever Zombies talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Not the third switch! Give my creation! about the Haunted Mansion. Cute. Welcome, foolish mortals. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> boom. You're imagining the music you're going to Actually, no, I think I'm going to open with a, a, a specific clip. Mm. We're gonna be ghosts from all over the world. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's. I mean, I. You, you found where that originally came from. That uh, that world, special. World when Disney, he's like Disney. showing the girl around. He's like, "Do you believe in ghosts?" She's like, "No." <laughs> he's like, "What do you see there?" She's like, "A ghost." <laughs> he's like, what, "You believe in ghosts?" No. God damn it! <laughs> I'm I brought, paying you to be here. I brought you down here. You want to take two on that one, girly? <laughs> this contest had a runner-up, you know. <laughs> Give me that stupid hat you're wearing. Um, let's uh, get right into things, Kat. Yeah. Uh, we've been receiving things from fans lately, but um, there's one in particular that I'm hiding it right now, but I want you to be able to see it as soon as possible and be I'm able to ready. just look at it. Whereas I was mailed a couple of other things. I'm told by one listener that we may be receiving Halloween treats from Norway. Whoa. Yeah. Okay, I'm pretty That's, excited uh, about that. Pink Paradox at Twitter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lisa. I know her. Yeah. I mean, not personally, but it feels like I do. Right? She sent our Gmail account. She was like, hey, do you want treats from Norway? And I was like, you bet. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that might be on its way. But for now, this was actually a hand-delivered by Sumo Dan, friend and listener to the show. Uh-oh. Oh, let me go I'm get so it. I'm so excited. Wow, you were hiding that. Okay, it's a big pumpkin. No way! Yep. 
Oh my gourd. <laughs> it's a jack-o'-lantern with boys well, and ghouls carved into it. Well, first of all, it's, it's not a real pumpkin. I know. Okay, well, just for the listener, it's... It's, yeah. um... I guess it's just plastic. No, I've heard of these. They're or, meant for what, what, carving and having permanently around. I don't remember what they're called, but I've always wondered how foam? good they would look. Yeah, it's some kind of foam. They're, kind of, they're textured like a, a pumpkin, so if you have pumpkin carving skills, it'll translate to one of these. That is incredible. So what it is, is the Boys and Ghouls logo as created by Ricky's, uh, Ricky Middlesworth. Uh-huh. When I saw the ampersand, I was like, oh, that's that's what's on our business cards. Yeah. Like, that's what's on our social media. Uh, Sumo Dan has his own Sumo Dan logo, mm-hmm. and now it's on a pumpkin, and then he had this made for us as well. That is incredible. I'm going to set it down. Holy cow. I've got to get a picture of that, like, outside in the dark before I leave. Sure. That's yeah, no, incredible. In the dark. I, I... Oh, my God. That's overwhelming. And that was made by pumpkin carver Scott Gerber. And you can find him on Facebook at Got Pumpkins. Wow. Yeah. That's really something. Thanks, Sumo Dan. So, and uh, I looked at some of his other pumpkins, and like that's that looks to be like one of the easier ones sure. to do. He does uh, some yeah. pretty elaborate things. That is so incredible. What a gift. Right? Wow. And the hits keep coming. Because it's Halloween. It's October. I understand them kids in those goofy get-ups they wear at Halloween. I think most of those ghouls and ghosts and goblins, precious little pumpkins, kids. When they ask for goodies, they're awful sweet. I give them yummies, kids, with their apple bobbin and trick or treat. Come on and ring my doorbell, you won't be sent away. I'm just crazy for kids today. Maybe she should be getting here soon. Let's see, I got the candy, the gum, the walnuts. Oh, there's the doorbell. Last year, what we did was, rather than just having one overall topic, like we did Halloween specials and History of Halloween and Halloween haunts mm-hmm. was a great one. Last time we did sort of a potpourri. In which in, we in, in which we four topics. So this time we're just doing Halloweenies 2. Or Halloweenies The Revenge. The return of Halloweenies. Take your pick. Son of Halloweenies. cemetery that's where you ought to play what's the matter with kids today all right well of the topics we chose the first up will be the wnuf halloween special note it's not actually a halloween special note it can be treated as such in this day and age we no longer wait for halloween specials to come on tv we watch them at our inconvenience Watching the WNUF Halloween special. The first fun fact about this film, which came out in 2013, is that to promote it, they put VHS copies like in bathrooms at some well, convention. Yeah, in a, a VHS convention. That makes it in... really special. That's fun. That makes like a fun find. That like talk about a way to interject something oh, sure. special into into culture. Yeah, there you in, go. Into the, the conversation. Yeah. At its heart, in its purest form, 
I'd say that this movie attempts to make people think it's an actual bootleg tape. Yes. That there's been this VHS tape circulating. Someone taped it off of TV back in 1987. And it's been just kind of going around and it's kind of degraded. It looks like it's from 87. And first of all, it's got no credits. No beginning, no ending credits. Mm -hmm. It starts with that sort of the, the blue screen. You know, you put it in, you press play. It fast forwards through certain portions. Mm -hmm. And it just starts with like, well, it starts with a commercial for STDs. But it just, the, the first thing you hear really is like, stop, wait, think about what you're doing. Which made for kind of a jarring warning. I was like, wow, okay, should I not go forward? Like, he, whoever watches this tape will also be doomed. Not so much. It doesn't work in like like the ring or what will come up in this conversation, Ghost Watch, mm -hmm. where like if you're watching it, you're part of it. Right. But regardless, it starts on a good tone. Sure. Little yeah. foreboding and at the same time, comical. And we should say what it's about. Yeah. At the outset. Well, it's two things. First, a news program, which leads into a live broadcast from a haunted house. And the whole fact that you're watching it in the first place, like why would anybody distribute this tape? Let's you know, like, something crazy is going to happen. Don't check your dial, folks. You didn't tune into Transylvania's public access station. No, sir. Tonight is Halloween. There's a lot of seeds that get planted, which for a while I was thinking would all come back, and they, they don't. Mm. But... Example? The guy who shot the boy trick-or-treating. They had, like, a little story mm -hmm. about a boy who was trick-or-treating and then a guy had a war flashback and, and shot him because mm -hmm. he was, like, dressed as a soldier. Right. Well, it's yeah. interesting that and you thought that that might come back around because none of the the commercials I just enjoyed for what they were are the commercials and the other news segments. Well, the commercials and the news covered, like, two feuding candidates. Yes. And one of them was, like, toxic waste. I was like, uh-huh. Uh, especially in the 80s, toxic waste could just do anything. You know, there could be mutants at the end of this thing from toxic waste. And you got it's it. so interesting that you viewed it that way because I tend to be a person, I've probably said this before, who doesn't try to figure out where it's going. My brain doesn't naturally do that. I don't look at something and go, wonder if that's going to come back later. Unless it's laid on pretty darn thick, I tend to just let things wash over me. If I'm watching a movie or a TV show, I'm just experiencing it right in the moment. So it never once, I'm fascinated that this is where your brain went because it never once occurred to me to think that any of that well, would have any bearing on what was coming later. I just thought that stuff was wonderful, stuff that made it flavor. feel really real, yes. And that the you know investigation was kind of what the plot part of it was, but the rest of it was just meant to be like, wow, this is exactly what it was like watching television in 1987. Right. Which um, we didn't say. It is set in 1987, is that right? Yeah. And it looks exactly like a VHS tape taped off of television. Yes. Then. Hey, Deborah, what's a vampire's worst nightmare? Oh, I don't know, Gavin. Sunlight? Mm-mm. Tooth decay. Oh. <laughs> and local dentist Dr. Stanley Allen knows plenty about that subject. And just wonderfully that the anchors are dressed as like a witch and, and a vampire. It's delightful. And it's, this isn't supposed to be like NBC or CBS or like one of the networks. It's more like a UHF station or like what would get taken over by Fox in like another year. Mm-hmm. Like one of those stations. Yeah. Or what in like 10 years will become the WB. It's one of those local stations. It never says the city. The weatherman seems to be pointing to um, New England. But it was, in fact, filmed in the Baltimore area. Do you believe in ghosts? No, but I know who to call if there are. 
Is that right? Yeah. And, and who would that be? Ghostbusters. Oh, very funny. Okay. I think everyone in the movie is so real and feels so real. Yeah. And the newscasters, to me, the segments with them dressed up and the, the set, puns. which we've never seen, not Halloween-y, but we can imagine what it'd look like based on our own local news watching experience. And them getting giggly about spooky puns and, and having fun with it made me realize one of the things I love the most about the Halloween season is that people who... Otherwise, maybe, I mean, we don't know what these newscasters are like on their everyday. Even the squares get in on the uh, Exactly. People, on the fun. even if it's just a moment, you watch people who, maybe you've got a really serious teacher when you're, you know, 10. Sure. But then on Halloween, they wear like a witch's hat and you're like, whoa. What? She's got a kind of a sense of humor or she likes Halloween or whatever. And you, it's fun because the whole world dresses up, you know, yeah. metaphorically and physically. And I love, I love that. I kind of felt that sense of fun, even though I don't, I don't know these newscasters, but I felt like I did, and I felt like it was a nice surprise seeing them all dressed up for Halloween. Hmm. I'm like, I've never watched them not in this movie, but they feel so real to me. And keeping the reality going is all the commercials, which after a while kind of helps with like the suspense. It'll just cut to commercial at times when you would really rather stay with it. And it even repeats commercials. There's like a carpeting commercial you see more than once. Yeah. And you'll notice the later it got, let's say the news came on at like 10.30 or 11, and then the, the special came on at like 11.30 or 12, let's say, the sex phone operator commercial comes on <laughs> in the second half. Not during the news, but in that after news yeah. programming, that's when you get like the heavy metal hotline. Ooh, the monsters, like call 1-900-MONSTERS. And that's another thing, those like 976-1900 numbers, mm -hmm. those went Make out. Make sure to get permission from your mom and dad. Either targeting children or targeting horny people. So really we're getting this great Polaroid of 1987. I read a few pieces, just critical pieces on this film, and I think one of them pointed out that they felt like the length of the commercials as the movie progressed kind of like killed the momentum. I didn't feel that way. I thought I kind of was like, I'm nervous. Right. What's going to be awaiting me when we get back from a commercial break? And plus that's what all those shows were. Like, there's going to be this amazing thing, but first a commercial. And now we'll talk to an expert, but first a commercial. Like there's always, but first a commercial. Yeah. The mean streets of New York are taken over by a supernatural evil in the form of an ancient mummy in the horror thriller Sarcophagus, tonight on WNUF-TV 28. By the way, Marshall, I talked a little bit on Twitter with one of the producers slash writers of this movie. Get out of town. His name's Jimmy Fowley. We've been like Twitter buddies. I'm pr that's probably exaggerating it, but I've been aware of him on Twitter and tweeted at him a few times just because we're spooky people on Twitter. Like, like, um, like prior to this? Yeah, indeed. Okay. He was one of those people that kind of came into my realm of Twitter understanding because we followed the same people and so I would see things show up on my feed and then I realized, putting two and two together... So I messaged him and I was like, oh my gosh, we're covering this movie on our next episode. And I just wanted to tell you how much I loved it. He was like, I can't believe the attention it keeps getting year after year. He's like, we made it for, I think he said something like $1,500. It was, it was a really ridiculous. low amount. of, And there was multiple directors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there, there was one main guy, but all, all the ads. Yeah. They had like a bunch of people. Was this guy one of the... I don't know if he directed any of them, but he did tell me that he wrote, I think, the dentist segments. Okay. So yeah, it does seem to have been such a collaborative effort. And he's like, man, it was a tough, you know, it was we scraped this thing together and like really, obviously really cared about it, but like they had nothing to work with money wise. And it, 
is so incredible what they were able to do with it. Also, in keeping it believably like something that actually existed, which was what they were really going for. Yeah, a lot of directors for these segments, which I've watched movies where then there's a movie within the movie or a news report in the movie or like a, a commercial in the movie. And it looks like the movie you're watching. Right. Like they're using the same visual style to make this TV spot as they did to make the rest of the film. And it's just really obvious. Sure. So to bring in different creative minds and people with different aesthetics to make different commercials, because commercials have different directors. Yep. That was smart. I also find it shocking how good... I, I shouldn't... I don't mean to be this way. It's just all the actors are spot on. Like, you know, the people who are meant to just be people on the street are very believable. The people yeah. who are playing news anchors who are trying to be funny but are a little hokey. Like, to ride that line of realistic but not overplaying the awkwardness and not just trying to be funny is like an incredibly delicate line. Yeah. And so for them not to overstep it is to my mind mind blowing with so many moving parts. The fact that they that they managed to maintain that level of performance throughout the whole thing is crazy. Yeah. What was the question? The question was that I've been asking everyone here uh, for a while is do you, okay, do you believe it try to focus here. Do you believe in ghosts? Yeah, well, no. Yes, I... Yes, well, no. The whole purpose of the newscast, ultimately, is that the reporter on the street, Frank Stewart, he and a group of paranormal investigators are... Husband-wife team. Husband-wife team are investigating a house, the Weber house, where the spirit board murders happened. It was where um, a Because Ouija board is a brand name. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned already there's the specter, um, pun intended, of Ghostwatch here, right? Yes. Now... Which had the advantage, I guess, of the fact that there's no commercials when you watch TV in England. You'd have commercials between shows, but not in the middle of really? shows. I didn't know that. Such is my understanding. Okay. I have to imagine someone of the team making WNUF knew of Ghostwatch, had seen it somehow. Probably. Um, but, you know, had I seen WNUF in 2013 when it came out, I wouldn't have known. I mean, the only reason I've seen Ghostwatch now is because it showed up on Shudder. But, you know, I love that it could have just kind of been a Ghostwatch knockoff. But despite the fact that the plot's similar... It really is its own thing, and I think the element of it feeling like a bootleg tape that you found somewhere adds that layer of it being unique. Also, the fast-forwarding through some of the segments, and I like the theory that it's one of the killers, like that maybe this is their tape, like they taped a bunch of it off of television. Okay, that's you know? a, well, the poster for this is like a kid in a Halloween costume. It's kind of the end of the night, Halloween night. He's got his candy. He's sitting, you know, in the living room by himself. So he's watching TV late at night, kind of unaccompanied. And his face is just agape, just like, oh, uh -huh. what am I looking at? Uh -huh. So, like, as crazy as it can get by the end of the movie for us watching it, what you really keep in mind, if this is supposed to be real and a real broadcast, is, man, whoever was sitting at home when this was coming out live, it must have blown their minds. <laughs> Definitely. And... 1987, just for another uh, lesson in what it was like to grow up in Pennsylvania. That was the same year that politician Bud Dwyer held a press conference <gasps> and shot himself. Oh my god, I've seen that video. When you just said that name, my blood just ran cold. Yeah. 
That was the same year you said? That was the same year. It was 87. Have you seen that video? Well, there was multiple cameras on him. It wasn't like just one network. Oh, I know. So you could say, go to a party at your friend's place. And then eventually someone goes, I got the Bud Dwyer tape. It's, it is so upsetting. And if you don't want to be very, very upset, don't Google it. But the thing that surprised me more than anything about it was how much blood there was. I don't know why I thought, like, I don't know, in the movies you see people shoot themselves in the head and, like, there's an explosion and then, like, they just fall down. Yeah. There is so much blood. Uh, I don't know why I keep talking about it. But part of it, I mean, I just, like, I forgot about that until you said that. I've put it in yeah. a really dark place of it, my brain. I mean, I had to Google it to remember what year it was, but I was like... This reminds me. And then the tapes, like pre-YouTube, you know, in, in, in the mid-90s, the tapes were just out there. Yeah. And one managed to cross my path. Really? Yeah. Like at a friend's house? No, yeah, well, just saying. Oh, like, I thought like you, meant, a, you said you could go to a friend's house. You didn't say I went hypothetical. to my friend's house and I saw it. Yeah. The terrible genie who lives at the bottom of our television dreams got out again last week. A troubled man in Pennsylvania called a news conference, the news being that he pulled a gun and shot himself to death as videotape cameras and still cameras recorded the act. And there it was again, one of those monstrous moments of truth that reveals similarities we don't often dwell on. Similarities between the process we call television and the process of the human soul. I think what you're getting at here is the fact that... Um, this has precedence. Yes, these kinds of things happened. When I was watching WNUF Halloween special, I was mm. feeling kind of nostalgic. Now, I was not your age, obviously, when 1987 was happening, but I was... Ten! <laughs> but I was alive, and I was alive for several years after, and I used VHS tapes, and yeah. my home movies from when I turned three or four look like WNUF Halloween special. Yeah. So I have memories tied in really closely with that kind of grain sure. that, you know? And, um... All I was going to say is, I know that when I was viewing the world through my eyeballs in 1987, it just looked like the world. Mm -hmm. But in my nostalgic brain, the world looked like, like when you looked around, it, it looked like a VHS recording. Do you know what I mean? I do. It's like you imagine that people in the 40s like saw the world in kind of sepia tones. Yeah, and that the 70s were a little red. Yes. Or that people walked a little herky-jerky in the 20s. <laughs> They did, Marshall. I get it. What? What on earth? My God! Whoa, 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 whoa! Oh, very cute. Aside from being a, a time capsule, uh, did you find it scary? No, I didn't find it scary. That doesn't mean I didn't really enjoy it. But I didn't need it to. There is a moment of gore where I just went, whoa, they went there. Uh-huh, yeah. Which did surprise me. I wasn't really afraid, but, you know little sound in the background just like what was that mm -hmm. sure because <laughs> it, it did draw me in enough yeah for, absolutely. for that kind of oh afraid. i was into it and i and yeah. i really really i was engaged the film. yes but it didn't scare me like ghost watch did but i again I, I that's not the purpose i needed it to serve anyway and i wasn't expecting it to and it was still just so much fun yeah now i don't know much about the guy the creative force behind this is chris la martina chris la martina who looks like he's got a super fun credits list. This year, someone has taken their love of politics one step too far. Now, 
Everyone's dying for a vote. Human sacrifices. Alien gods. Hookers giving birth to mutant babies. A witch cursed the beer. Everyone who drinks it, some horrible, terrible thing happens to them. They Chris LaMartina. He's uh, one of those guys who is sticking with his hometown. He sees the value of it. You know, he's got his little support system. He's got his family. He's got a whole community. And it really looks like everything went up on the screen when it comes to his projects. And uh, I want to see what you do next. It's going to be funny? Yeah, it'll be funny. With Dark a stroke? and weird and funny and with a stroke. Okay. Maybe it's not a stroke. And, Kat, I posed the question, uh, if you were to do like a Halloween double feature, I, I picture this would make a good first movie, something to kind of get people in the mood. Sure. It contains actual Halloween stuff, not just scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's key for like, a Halloween like, night, Halloween movie night. What would the second feature be? Well, I thought about it, yeah. and I'm going to go with, because I think you're right, I think WNUF Halloween special, it's fun. It's a good ramp up to something else. It's a else. good ramp up. I feel like I might have an unpleasant experience watching with other people, because I think if you're not making yourself pay attention, it's easy to just start talking over the commercials, and I'd get irritated with people, but that's neither here nor there. Okay. Um, I'd probably just like have a whip where I'd go, pay attention, a pumpkin patch commercial. <laughs> um, but... My answer is once you're, well, you've primed the pump with WNUF, you're heading right into Mike Doherty's Trick or Treat. I wrote that down. I also wrote the original Night of the Living Dead because it feels like you're watching TV and it's like. Oh, that's smart. So, and, and when it goes off, it's like it's almost midnight. And what was supposed to come on next was, was like the horror host, the guy like Dr. Bloodwrench. Mm. Welcome to a night. Of total terror. I wrote, whatever you put in between, like, you, you show the WNUF, uh -huh. and then I feel you should put on then a Treehouse of Horror. That's good. Maybe just one segment, maybe all three, and then your second feature. That's a good night. You've really thought this through. I really have, and I wrote it all down. <laughs> it just feels right for a viewing party. It does. Although, if you alone on the sofa with uh, some popcorn... And I'm trying to just think of something decadent. Let's just say a few more of those Reese's pumpkins than you ought to have. Mm -hmm. There. Now it's a party. WNUF can kick off that party just fine. That being the WNUF Halloween special. Actually, uh, remember Walt's old line on this thing was, welcome, welcome in, welcome in. All right. Welcome. Welcome. Well, come in. I am your host, your ghost host. <laughs> Kindly step all the way in, please, and make room for everyone. There's no turning back now. Cat. Marshall. Disneyland's The Haunted Mansion. You mean my favorite place? The scariest place within the happiest place on earth. Mm. Where to begin? My gosh. That's a toughie. That's Disneyland toughie. opened in 55. In 66, New Orleans Square opens. like So that whole new section gets opened. And for years, though, like, like during its construction, was this antebellum house which I never realized was not made to look spooky. Mm. Like, there's no broken shutters. 
There's no cracks up the side. There's no canted weathercock. I, like you, never thought about that until I was researching this podcast and saw all the stuff about how the Imagineers, the people who were working Loose on... Loose shingles. Yeah, and Walt was having none of it. When the idea for a haunted mansion was first envisioned, the idea was that it was going to be off of Main Street, which is not where it ended up. No. The idea originally with the haunted mansion was that it was going to be a, like a craggly path up to a craggly old house up on a hill off of Main Street, which is where you first walk into Disneyland. So you'd see it. And then Walt the was distance, all... Maybe like the Bates Motel. No, make it look nice. He's like, this is my pristine park. I'm not going to have some dilapidated house in this beautiful place. It's the happiest place on earth. And the other thing I remember reading is that Walt toured the Winchester Mystery House, which I've been to. You know, it's not falling apart at all, but it's very odd. You it know, is. It's very odd. Nowhere, that is the house nowhere. that the woman kept building and building. And people think that she was afraid of the ghosts of those killed with Winchester rifles would come and uh, take her soul to Hades. It took... 10 years or more from conception to opening day of yeah. the Haunted Mansion. And Several years of which the outside had been built mm-hmm. and was just sitting there piquing people's interests. And then a sign got added to it saying like that it was going to be a retirement home for ghosts. <laughs> yeah. So while they're going through what the theme should be, there was a pirate theme because the Pirates of the Caribbean kicked ass. Some really dark pirate stuff. Like it was meant to be about... um. A uh, sea captain who murdered his nagging wife, and then like, and then she haunts him. Yeah, I believe, believe that's was the thing. Darn dark. And then someone was like, "No, no, no, not that." The Blood Family. <laughs> yeah. were, were they called the Bloods? Yeah, or? they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Blood Family lived here, and all the malarkey they got up to. Yeah. And even during Walt's life, uh, he died in '66. Mm-hmm. Mansion didn't open until '69. He'd been working on it and working on it and trying out different things that would work but all through that it was supposed to be a walkthrough and they had never really settled on would it be scary or would it be fun it kept going back and forth with the humor the horror and i they really kind of ended up probably skewing more humor but i think somewhere in the middle there's there were two creative forces mark davis and claude coates claude wanted a scary adventure and produced renditions of moody surroundings and endless hallways and Mark wanted zany spook characters and thought it should be full of gags. Ex Atencio, who we recently lost. Yes, I noticed that. And yeah. I believe his his name was Xavier, but everyone called him X. Yeah, which so, is so cool. in all these documentaries, it, you just see him talking and underneath it just says like X. Yeah. He combined their approaches, I think, to a great result. Mm-hmm. Not that we're going to go through the whole ride here, but. In movies, because this is at its heart a horror movie podcast, um, so let's just compare this to a a movie. Uh, There's a technique that if you do something is really horrible or take out a character in such a way or some level of gore or something early enough, then even if that level never gets repeated, it doesn't get that bad again through the entire film you will still be on pins and needles. You'll no longer say like, well, they won't kill that character. She's the main character. Oh my gosh, anybody could go at any second if they're going to kill her. And then you can just keep that level of suspense up or that level of not knowing up if you put your scariest part first, you know? Yeah. So you go into the, the painting room 
Whereas like, is it stretching? This chamber has no windows and no doors. <laughs> Which offers you this chilling challenge to find a way out. <laughs> but what I was referring to as being like the scariest part to me, I think is when, you know, there's always my way. Oh, you mean the suicide? You see, yeah, the lightning lets you see through a scrim which is the ceiling directly over your head directly over your head to see a dangling corpse and you're like oh the guy talking to us uh took his own life it took me a few years to really i don't know if i just didn't look straight up if i didn't totally absorb what i was seeing but it took me a while before i realized how absolutely incredibly dark that moment is it never gets that dark again no for the rest of the ride no some parts get kind of creepy uh-huh depending on what creeps you out but it never reaches that point uh, again. No. But I'm, I'm with you. It, yeah. it sets you up for and, and then, what am I in for? Yeah. So then every silly spook who may sit by your side could potentially be that like, and then I hung myself. Blah. <laughs> so a tip of the hat to Mr. X. A tip of the hat, like one of the hitchhiking ghosts? Like one of the hitchhiking ghosts. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We have been unavoidably detained by pranky spirits. Kindly remain seated in your dune buggy, please. We will continue our tour momentarily. They don't come out all at once. First, it's just like a floating candelabra, and then a knocking door, and then the guy's like, let me out of here, let me out of here. Mm-hmm. And then you get Madame Leota, who was the face of an Imagineer, whose name was Leota Tombs. Wow. Yeah. And that is right up there with... Uh, Thurl Ravenscroft? Thurl Ravenscroft. <laughs> a name that has come up on this podcast more than twice, at least. And he was one of the singing busts. I know that you watched this documentary that I watched called Haunted Mansion History, which is you can find on YouTube if you just search for that. Anyway, the interview, among other people, Rolly Crump, Exitensio, like a lot of these people who ended up working on the mansion, and they talked to Thurl Ravenscroft, which is absolutely yeah. delightful, and he talks about the experience of getting filmed for this bus. Yeah, they put your head in like a clamp. Yeah, he said that they like, they told me this isn't going to be pleasant, but uh, it'll do the trick. And so they had his head in like a vice so that he couldn't move, he couldn't express himself through anything but his face. Because they needed his face to be perfectly still so that they could use that projection and put it right onto that bust. Mm-hmm. And... I'm watching his eyes roll around in his head. They're making these big facial gestures. facial gestures. That's all they can move. That's all they can move. And I I realized that that was something that always found really delightfully spooky about those busts that are singing, which, of course, we haven't said this yet, but this iconic song, Grim Grinning Ghosts, that they do look like they're trapped in, like, stone. One of them's tipped over. Oh, yeah. So it's like, well, he's just going to be tipped over now. Yeah, sure. But... Thurl Ravenscroft talks about that. He's like, it was just weird. He's like, what a weird experience. When they finally showed him what it would look like, he was like, that was crazy. As the moon climbs high over the dead oak tree, spooks arrive for the midnight spree. Creepy creeps with eerie eyes start to shriek and harmonize. Grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize. And the Grim Grinning Ghost song, like 
the Pirates of the Caribbean's Pirate's Life for Me had to be a song where you could come in at any point and it could just be sung in a circle. It wouldn't have a beginning, middle, and end. It would just have like a never-ending ragtime middle. So he didn't write the tune, but he wrote the words. And he also wrote the great. words to Pirate's Life for Me. And he is Remember, reciting... Remember, a silly spook a silly might sit by your yes. side. It sums up the very combination of fun and scary that he was going for through the whole mansion. But you watch this old man recite his... Li he's singing it, and it is the most charming thing I could ever have conceived of, and I watched it probably three times because it was so cute to watch him, like, remembering and reminiscing and, like, appreciating what that song... And that song is so iconic you, to me. And you I'm forget like, he wrote it down! A he human wrote the made words! It up. Like, you're like, well, ghosts must have just... It blows my mind. Yeah, that song has just always existed. No, he wrote it, and it is delightful. The key there is these ghosts just are having a ball. They're having a good time. Now don't close your eyes and don't try to hide or a silly spook may sit by your side. Shrouded in a daft disguise, they pretend to terrorize. Grim, grinny ghosts come out to socialize. The Doom Buggy takes you through the world's largest Pepper's ghost. I know that we discussed Pepper's Ghost on Boys and Ghouls before, but to refresh, it was invented in like the 1860s. They followed the directions. An illusion. An illusion. Illusions, the, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> they followed the directions in a like Mechanics for Boys book from like 1909. Yeah. And they were like, well, we'll make this, but we'll make it gigantic. And we'll have to manufacture the world's largest piece of glass ever in order to accomplish this. Which is why when... Some dink shot the glass. I can't believe that. I didn't know that. He must have been like, I'm going to shoot a ghost. Pakong! Idiot. It might have just been like a pellet gun. Airy godless. There's metal detectors at Disneyland now. Yeah. So Thanks, idiot. Um, also, there used to be cloth type things that would oh, hang yeah. down that would like swipe at your face but people would people would pull on them. This is why we can't have nice things. Yeah. Well, but, to, to cover up the bullet hole. Yeah. They put in like a spider and a web. So That's they're really like, cute. done. But we, we glossed over it, but Pepper's Ghost is an illusion that, yeah. that whereby you project something onto glass, it reflects in a... I can't remember exactly what. Well, more, it's You'll just a, a, a reflection. <laughs> yeah. So because it's a reflection, all those ghosts are actually backwards, which is why the women are leading the men in dancing. <laughs> it is accidentally... How backwards is that? Accidentally progressive. <laughs> yeah. Now, actually progressive would be the next room where the bride has taken a more active role over the years. There's been a few different... It was always a bride occupying the attic. And I've also heard that that bride... I never put that together in my head, but she exists in multiple... Now. Well, the they, let's call it retconning. Well, that's the way it's developed. Okay. That now the woman sitting on the grave with the husband that's with the axe in the head. Her. Yeah. Now it's her in her younger years. Mm-hmm. And they brought back the hat box ghost. He was a cloaked figure with an evil, grinning face. A hat box hung from his hand. With each beat of his bride's heart, his head disappeared from his body and appeared in the hat box. Some people say he was never in the ride at all. There are people who swear they did see him on swear the ride. Swear by everything. 
these documentaries have like the guy who like has like a cleaning list mm-hmm. from like 1969 that says like right here someone checked off they cleaned it ergo it was part of the ride <laughs> your witness counselor <laughs> greetings curious mortals i am your ghost host at the disneyland haunted mansion why not make final arrangements to join us soon <laughs> when the mansion opened it wasn't the day it opened to the public but it was the employee preview day which was august 9th 1969 which for your socal history is also the day the next morning from the sharon tate murders so the switch got flipped on a lot of things that Goodbye, day. Bye, Summer of Love. And I, I said to you when you brought that up to me, I was like, wow, that's just, it's one of those weird facts. And it's not quite the same thing. But when you hear that, like, the pyramids existed at the same time as this thing existed. You know what I'm saying? Where you go like, whoa, the Haunted Mansion and the opening of Disney's Haunted Mansion and uh-huh. the Tate LaBianca murders, Charles Manson, the Manson family. Those two things existed contemporaneously. Like, I know that they did. Oh, of course I knew that they did. They snapped together like two brain. Legos for me. I'm like, well, watch, watching that thing with like Kurt Russell and the Osmonds running around, uh-huh. that helped me. And now it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you the Osmond Brothers. <laughs> special the wonderful world of disney colon disneyland showtime with kurt russell and the osmond brothers young kurt russell don't picture snake bliskin he this is uh the computer who wore tennis shoes oh so adorable but you have a storyline where it's the osmond brothers and kurt russell are going to perform that evening and they've got like a disneyland representative who's very concerned about the time yeah and you know how long their sets are going to take and if they're going to get there on time and of course donnie and one of the other brothers take off and no one can get in touch with each other because it's 1969 and no one has cell phones. Listen, you square. We've got turtlenecks. <laughs> so as you can see, we're not all buttoned up like you. But it's so interesting because when I go to Disneyland, Disneyland feels so timeless to me simultaneously, but also very specifically like mid-50s. I think about it when it opened, even though there are newer rides and all of that. Sure. But to see a Disneyland that is so steeped in like the early 70s as this special is, because the songs they're singing, the the first song you hear is the Osmond Brothers with Kurt Russell and, and a big like double-decker car full of people they're going down main street disneyland singing um down on the corner out in the street i kind of fast forwarded to the honda mansion part yeah. but i i caught them singing uh, age of aquarius so the whole point of it is donnie wants to go ride the haunted mansion and finally at the end he does get to ride the haunted mansion um, but before you go kurt russell narrates like a behind the scenes he does and that's really lovely but also as a tiny aside there is a scene where a lovely diverse cast of disneyland performers perform a version all over the park of this land is your land mm-hmm. and i got a little misty-eyed <laughs> i was like <laughs> I don't know. It felt really patriotic, and I feel so sad right now about a lot of things. And it made me feel really misty and like, yeah, this land is your land. It's also mine. Um, but yes, Kurt Russell narrates this really fun behind the scenes. You see them working in the workshop, making the animatronics happen. The Haunted Mansion was an idea of Walt Disney's. 
You see, he began to worry where ghosts were going to live after all the old houses were torn down to make room for freeways. So Mr. Disney built a haunted mansion. Oh, boy, but I'm sure glad it's not Halloween tonight. Well, how come, Donnie? Well, there'd be so many ghosts here, there wouldn't be any room for us. Oh, boy. <laughs> come on, the line's moving. Yeah. We sort of left off at the uh, going through the ride with the bride. Oh, yeah. Now, I, I had to read about this before I went, oh, yeah, I guess so, because the doom buggy kind of turns around, and you then are essentially falling out the window of the attic down to the graveyard. I never thought about it that way. So some people say you're either recreating the bride's story, although now that she's a murderess, not so much. So it's you that's falling out. I At never which point that together. you reach the graveyard, and the caretaker with his shaky dog is then pointing, looking very afraid, but he's pointing at you. Mm-hmm. At least at one point when the doom buggy kind of comes level yeah. with him. One point Implying, that made is that they direct your attention. Like, they'll turn your back to things that are, like, things you shouldn't be seeing and make you look at the person who's pointing at you. Yes, they have directed your attention very well. I guess it's just interpreted that you didn't survive the fall. Ooh. And that you are now seeing all the ghosts... Who are now welcoming you as a ghost as well to the graveyard. Yep. I never thought about that and now I will. Um, Spooky town. By the way, uh, we haven't mentioned uh, Paul Freeze. Uh-huh. The ghost host. The ghost host. And in the late 60s, the monsters were back and very much a part of popular culture. The monster mash had already been to number one and... It would have been very easy the same, for them. The same week as the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? You got it. <laughs> it would have been very easy for them to just do a Peter Lorre voice, a Boris Karloff voice. Which, didn't they try that out? There's recordings. I've heard, yeah. Of, he's either just goofing around, or they were really just like, Let's see how this sounds. Give me some Lorre. I am your friendly ghost guide. <laughs> or the Hungarian Bela Lugosi voice. Welcome to the Haunted Mansion. I am your friendly ghost guy. But instead, and this is an American haunting, I realize the ghosts are from all over the world, sure. but it is part of New Orleans Square. They do go with an American voice, which, um, good. You gotta be pretty thankful. As, as, as opposed There's to... a little more staying power than something as, as I think might feel gimmicky now, the welcome to the haunted mansion. Which is, uh, he was German. Mm. Karloff was British. Lugosi was Hungarian, and they would be just imitating specific, you know, celebrities of the time. Now, I like all three of those voices for Boo Berry, Count Chocula, and Frankenberry, but for the Haunted Mansion, I'm really glad uh, oh, for sure. with the, yeah. the direction they went. Yep. Ah, but things are not always as they seem. Can it be this room is actually stretching? They only kept it for a little bit of time, but when they opened it in Euro Disney as... Phantom Manor, which mm-hmm. are both words that translate directly into French. They used Vincent Price as their uh, their ghost host, mm-hmm. but they stopped using a English. Narr- they stopped using a narrator in general. They just let it play out. But they did keep his laugh. His laugh is still in Phantom Manor. <laughs> Disneyland in general, and the Haunted Mansion in particular, I think a lot of the early stuff and the stuff that's stayed from the early forms of Disneyland, Tomorrowland changes very often because it's you know it's supposed to be tomorrow. <laughs> but a lot of what we're seeing, yes, feels like the 50s, but a lot of what we're seeing 
And what's also reflected in the Haunted Mansion is what was cool to Walt Disney when he was a kid. Walt Disney was born in 1900. So like Main Street, USA, that's what an idealized version of a small town in the aughts and the teens, you know, with the hitching posts and the whitewash and pirates, man, Tom Sawyer and the pirates. And that's what adventure was. <laughs> and the frontier. the frontier, you know, there were still Indians and in teepees when he was a boy and I'm sure he would read about them. And the haunted mansion, it's Victorian and Gothic at a time when, remember, this stuff came out in the Atom Age. It was all giant bugs and the throwback to the Frankenstein's monster and the Universal monsters. But what he brought was g ghosts, because I think when he was young, it was more about ghosts and specters and spooks and skeletons and bats. And, you know, he was 31 years old. He was a man when Dracula came out. So what really gets him going were old brides and creaky floors and squeaky doors and... What was very popular, mostly post-World War I, but all through there, was seances. Seances to commune with the dead. And what do we get? We get ourselves like a seance with a gypsy with her head in a crystal ball. <laughs> because, yeah, we're seeing the world as it was brought to us in 1969. For Imagineers, I've been working on it for like nine years. But really, we're getting the much earlier part of the century throughout Disneyland and really in the Haunted Mansion. That's why it feels so classic. Yeah, it was already classic by the time it was built. Sure. And when you do that, it's hard to get dated. We're going to bring ghosts from all over the world. And we're making it very attractive to them, hoping, you know, they'll want to come and stay at Disneyland. So we're putting in wall-to-wall -wall cobwebs. And we guarantee them creaky doors and creaky floors. In Disneyland, in Frontierland, where I always like to visit because they have a shooting gallery you can find a tree full of pumpkins. I'm assuming this is seasonal. It is, because I remember going to visit this, like, a time after. I had been in, I had been at Halloween time, seen it, and I was like, I want to go back! And it was, like, December, and it was gone. So, yeah, it's definitely seasonal. So, it is more than a pumpkin tree. It is a Halloween tree. And it's near the Golden Horseshoe Saloon, and it was inspired by Ray Bradbury's novel, The Halloween Tree. It went up in 2007, which was the 35th anniversary of the novel. Bradbury was there for its dedication. And Bradbury was a real co-collaborator, I think more after Walt died. He was a friend of Walt Disney's. But I think after Walt's death, they really had to bring in some um, big thinkers with big imaginations. And Ray Bradbury really falls into that category. They say he helped a lot with um, Spaceship Earth at Epcot, that like iconic. Thing. Yeah. So Bradbury and Disney, their paths have crossed a lot, and you can go see the tree. Without at the base of it is a dedication to him. It says on the night of Halloween, two thousand seven, the stately oak officially became the Halloween tree. Mm -hmm. Maybe the tree's always up. It's just not always. I think that might be right. Decorated. So yeah, let's talk about the Halloween tree. It is a book, and it's also an animated special. Or, I think it's... I forget how long it is. It's a little over an hour. So, yeah, I guess it's a movie. Yeah, I mean, you put commercials in it. It's considered a feature. It's long enough. Okay, it's a feature. Mm -hmm. It's not just a cartoon based on a book, but in its inception, it was supposed to be a cartoon. Mm -hmm. After having viewed It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, he was rather dissatisfied with the ending. I was wrong! 
he said his kids didn't like it. He was like, what? All this? You don't see the Great Pumpkin? That's taking away magic. And I guess, although as nostalgic and innocent as Charlie Brown is for us, I think at the time it was uh, kind of cynical. Mm-hmm. You know, for the time. You rockhead! So then he like got on the phone with Chuck Jones of a Warner Brothers animation, and Chuck Jones was like, yeah, I kind of was disappointed on how that one wrapped up. And they started talking about making their own animated Halloween special, which they shopped around for a while, didn't have a ton of success. And then sometime, I guess, around around the time the Haunted Mansion was opening, Bradbury said, you know what? I'm just going to make this into a book. And so he did. 73 came out. I have 72. 72? Mm-hmm. But either way. I'll go for it. And then in 92, it became an animated movie. And I'm glad it was done before computer animation. I'm sure someone today, computer animation would have done it, be able to do it just fine. But I'm really glad it came in with some hand-drawn animation. And when you see that Halloween tree with its millions of galaxies of pumpkins, not just pumpkins, jack-o'-lanterns all carved, and to know each one of those was drawn, it really plays well. There must be a million of them. Pumpkins! Look at them all! A pumpkin tree. No! A Halloween tree! So, yeah, it's it's a story about a group of what, eight boys who are... Boys. All boys. Ugh. You know, though, something else point out to me. There's a phase. It's like there's a boys and girls phase, and then there's boys and girls separate phase. I know. I read that, too. Oh, they think girls are icky. I read that, too. And then boys and but girls get back a, together. As a girl, let me just say, it's no wonder this book did not enter my realm when I was a child, because... It well, is not inclusive for girls. The special? I don't think everything has to be, but I'm just sure. saying I think that I know the special added a girl, and I appreciate that. Not, not only added, but she's the first character introduced, and when they're all scared to ring the doorbell or knock the Marley knocker, she's the one that does it. Well, my point is, it did occur to me as I was listening. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Ray Bradbury's writing, but from discussions I saw online, apparently it's, the Halloween tree is not atypical in the sense that there aren't great female characters in a lot of his work. Now, he did also write the screenplay for the what came out. I understand. I'm just saying I'm not sure this book was necessarily for young girls. Apart from, um, this is more of like a kind of a final statement than a, mm. an opener, but I'm going to say it now. I think apart from the wonderful writing, which, I mean, truly, his prose is incredible. Yeah. And I feel, I feel Stephen King in it. Which is, I know the reverse. Stephen King is a huge Bradbury fan. Mm -hmm. And there are times when I'm reading Bradbury where I'm like, oh my God. Like, just the certain cadences and certain feelings that are conveyed feels like Stephen King. And I totally see the influence that he had on Stephen King. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, there wasn't a ton that I connected with. It is a great celebration of boys. It is. And that's fine. I don't need to be included in the boys club. (gasps) Women make men miserable. I do want to say, I know that you gifted me a copy of this book. I didn't physically read it. You listened to it. I listened to. Who who read it? Bronson Pinchot? Yeah, same here. Which I thought he was absolutely fantastic. We're so used to him with his Miposian accent. Don't be ridiculous. That just to hear him speak regularly, oh let alone goodness. doing all the voices. He was so good. Including Mr. Moundshroud, Mr. Clavicle oh. Moundshroud. And then when I saw no shade on Leonard Nimoy or anything, but when you hear what Leonard Nimoy does in the animation, 
it's a lot more like miserly and, uh, and it's very like exaggerated which fine make choices your actors but like Bronson Pinchot's Mound Trout is like sexy and tight not sexy and not voice you. you know what I mean no, he's more of a slick salesman yes and he draws you in and like he might be death you know incarnate, incarnate. but isn't there something kind of sweet and inviting about death you know <laughs> at least when played by Bronson Pinchot who appears when all of the boys follow the instructions of Pip, the greatest boy ever. Yeah, so they're all getting dressed up for Halloween night. It's Halloween. Can I please read to you? The greatest parts of, the, of this book is the first third. Oh my God. I feel as it captures the anticipation of Halloween. Which you've which, often talked which about. Which all the great Halloween specials do. They don't just start Halloween night. It's the dusk, the getting ready, the looking forward to some quotes. Sure. The wind outside nested in each tree, prowled the sidewalks in invisible treads like unseen cats. Another quote. Anyone could see that the wind was a special wind this night, and the darkness took on a special feel because it was All Hallows' Eve. Everything seemed cut from soft black velvet, or gold, or orange velvet. Smoke panted up out of a thousand chimneys like the plumes of funeral parades. From kitchen windows drifted two pumpkin smells. Gourds being cut, pies being baked. I mean, I... Yeah, and, and Ray Bradbury does some occasional narration within the cartoon. Mm -hmm. With that great introduction. I, I put it on one of your Halloween mixes yes, once. Yes, yes you did. You know, better than Christmas, better than Easter. Yeah. It's Halloween. These descriptive tangents he goes on are what halloween is all about to me i can't believe how beautiful and yeah just what a scene it sets now it goes from there as the boys follow pip's instructions oh i'm sorry yeah we didn't say they want they go to a haunted house pip, who is well we didn't even say why they go there or why you know what the he's main fallen thrust ill is. with an pip appendicitis is, pip is like their leader He's the coolest boy. He hates the, all the girls the most. And he... The day he was born, the all the soda lived. pop exploded. But he's sick. And he says, go on without me, I'll catch up. And they go to this spooky house. Wherein is Mr. Moundshroud in around... Carapace Clavicle Moundshroud? That's yep. his full name. Caretaker of the Halloween tree, basically. They all have very different, equally garish, but unique grins and faces yeah. carved into the bumpkins that are flaming on the inside. I think like each one is a spirit, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. that's the impression I get. One of which represents Pip. That's clear in the cartoon. There's a lot more to hold on to in the cartoon because I, I'm sure the book is very surreal and there's no moments where like the kids go, hold on, wait a second. Let's spend two chapters rationalizing this before we go forward. Instead, it's just like, well, the spirit of your friend Pip is going into the ether and into the undiscovered country. Come, and boys. Chip, chop, chip. Let's go. They're all like, okay. Right. There's a lot of their own suspension of disbelief. Totally. You suspend your disbelief Th to believe that they suspend their right. disbelief and just go with it on this journey through time. And by journey through time, you mean really through time. Yeah. Thousands of now, years. Now, the next greatest Ray Bradbury part, as far as just like, ooh, that's such good Bradbury. <laughs> Is like, well, how do we follow them? Why, boys, we make a kite. Out of what? Out of the side of a barn has been plastered with 
decades of circus posters, of carnivals and circuses who have gone through town and left their tattered reminders. And you peel them off, and you make this giant kite, and while you're doing that, the lions and tigers are kind of real, so it's this living mishmash circus poster giant kite. But for a tale, the boys must hang on, for the kite needs a tail. Mm -hmm. And they travel through time. Oh, that's good Bradbury. It really did paint quite the picture, for sure. The way you just painted it, it's like I'm there. They don't go through the history of Halloween in the sort of cause and effect history of Halloween that you and I concentrated on in our history of Halloween episode, where we looked at stuff where it was like, well, this led to this, that led to these, like, down through the years, which eventually led to what we now know as Halloween. Rather, what it did was went to different cultures, each represented by another of the boys' outfits, the mummy being the first one. Mm -hmm. And it was more like the root of Halloween is worldwide. Of... It's universal. Mm -hmm. And it's all based on the fear of death. The fear of death, the coming of winter being when everything dies. And how different cultures deal with that and express it. And celebrate it. Mm -hmm. Celebration <laughs> is one of the lines. So while nothing the Egyptians did led to trick-or-treating, the mindset was the same. Some of them can be traced back as far as ancient Egypt. And beyond that yet, in the countries that was old when Egypt was young. And so it's a mindset that has been in humans for as long as there's been humans, because they also like refer back to like the cavemen who came before. Mm -hmm. So through the gargoyles on Notre Dame, the burning of the witches... The, Dia de los Muertos. Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead, is sometimes referred to as Mexican Halloween. The Day of the Dead stuff in Mexico, I like that the boys kind of remark about, wow, you know, we don't do this for our dead. And they express a real appreciation for this culture that's different from theirs, which is just a nice lesson for children who are reading the Halloween tree, yeah. I think. But they marvel at how these people come out to the graveyard and they sit and they talk to their grandfather like he's still here and mm -hmm. they're just really moved and charmed by this cultural tradition that they don't have living in iowa or wherever the hell they live and i, I like that i think and the, some of the other places they visit it was more like oh they believe this it's kind of a old way of, of thinking right maybe a cautionary tale like the witch the stuff yeah it's like well these were real people but, who got but once they, they get up to mexico it's like you do this they do that right and look yeah. look how fun this can be totally and not just fun though that's part of it there but like you know as much as the a lot of these things, a lot of these places they go and things that they do, I was like, oh, this doesn't feel Halloween-y anymore. And this is a book called The Halloween Tree, and I want it to feel like Halloween the whole time because I'm spoiled. But the overarching lesson of learning to... Of all the places they visit, accumulatively? Yes. And the lesson that kind of transcends all of it and becomes the theme of it, which is Mount Shroud talking about death and the fear of death and how mm -hmm. cultures deal with it and how close it is to you and him having them make a deal, which we haven't talked about yet. And all of that stuff, I find to be like delightfully dark for a children's tale it's because it deals so frankly with death and dying and accepting that. What a Bradbury ending. Oh my God, it's so dark. Where the... <laughs> Mr. Moundshroud says like, oh, you want your friend Pip back? Well, let's make a deal. And he says, what if I can take one year off of the end of each of your lives? It's like, you might not miss it now, but think long on this because... 
you know, when you're 74, you're going to want 75. Right, Think well on it, boys. And after thinking not that well on no, it, I'd say. How are they capable of doing that? They're yeah. young boys. <laughs> the young boys are like, take a year off of our lives. So it'll save Pipton. Pipkin. Pipkin. Pip. And then Pip is uh, returned to them. But it's like, don't forget what you did, guys. You remember? So for your average children's book or children's special, having it end with like, and a year off the end of your life. Happy Halloween! I, I love this last, just speaking of the Bradbury of it all, writing-wise mm. and story-wise. Um, and a last thought from Tom. Oh, Mr. Moundshroud, will we ever stop being afraid of nights and death? And the thought returned. When you reach the stars, boy, yes, and live there forever, all the fears will go and death himself will die. He's like, once you die, you won't be afraid of death anymore. And also he says to them, I'll be back for you someday. See you later. Like Frosty the Snowman or something. <laughs> like, it's so dark. And I ultimately really appreciate the conceit of the story. I just like, I don't know, all the catacombs and pyramids. Yeah, you you can really reach a point where you're like, you know, this Halloween tree story needs more Halloween. Because you get so much of it at the beginning. Yeah. And I do love all the death stuff at the end. I think that stuff's amazing. The middle of it, meh. But man, yeah, it, that Bradbury can write. It goes in strong and comes out strong. It does. So uh, you don't really need our recommendation. It's a highly regarded book. I uh, also saw someone in an AV Club article talk about how much the first season of Stranger Things is like the Halloween tree. tree. Because one of their number gets <sighs> taken away. Mind blown, right? Mind blown. Me too. All right. Well, Kat, I want to share with you and our listeners a couple of things that got shared with us. The gifts just keep on coming. Right? I mean, this isn't what I planned when I started a podcast, but I really like it. Um, Be honest. This was your master plan. You just wanted really just cool, want stuff. handmade, free stuff. I like stuff. But I'm also reminded of, like, you know, how horror hosts, like, people just, like, mail them stuff. Sure. Or write into them and talk about it on the air. And it's nice to know that people are out there. It really is. They are. You know, we, we make this up and we send it out and we see that the hits go up. You know, it's like, oh, there's a lot of people out there. But it is just nice to get proof that they are like real people and not just like numbers on our screen. So, well, to start off from a guy who had requested your CD. Mm-hmm. Well, I sent him the CD and then I also like included a Halloween mix of oh, my sure. own. Uh-huh. I threw in there. And he's like, hmm, well, thank you. Let me send you some Halloween music. So he sent us two discs. One I've got, I got in the player right now. They're actually um, DVDRs. It's uh, coming at us, <clears throat> coming at us from uh, Texas. It's uh, Jason Passens. Here's a uh, the DVD of Classic Kids Halloween slash Horror Records and a Halloween mix I made. Included two copies, in case Cat would like Aww, one too. So Cat, there's yours. Uh, I've got mine fired up here, so you can just see. So there's Classic Halloween Records. And then his playlist is under that, 2017. He uh, dates them, just like I do. 
<laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm going to click on the... That's just the A's. This is in alphabetical order. An Evening with Boris Karloff. Monster's Ball. Boris Rathbone. Oh, my God. Christopher Lee. We're down to the D for Disney. Dracula's Greatest Hits. This goes on through the alphabet. I think I counted, like, over 70. Good sweet Lord. Original music from Dark Shadows. Fun. Spike Jones. I've included some of that on, on mixes. So, Ken, it's time you started making me mixes. <laughs> <laughs> no. You've got no. the raw material in, in your hands right now. Wow. I was just like cleaning up my place uh, and I was listening to, uh, there's way down at the end of the list is Zachary. Oh, under yeah. Z. Of course. So uh, there it is, uh, Zachary's Monster Mash Party. So. But he's at the front of our hearts. <laughs> so there you go. Well, Thanks, Thank you, buddy. Jason. Thanks, Jason. That's amazing. I'll continue to make you mixes, Kat. But I now I've got a, a lot idea. of raw material to draw from. Great. And we will never be without spooky sounds. That's awesome. And this isn't all music. Like, a lot of those are just, like, like Vincent Price reading Edgar Allan Poe. Sure. And scary stories from Boris Karloff. So. I, I cannot express the amount of material we just got here on this podcast. That's but awesome. Believe me, it's a lot. So, again, Jason in Texas. Happy Halloween, Jason. Happy Halloween. Thank you very much. And th thanks for thinking of us and that we're not just detached voices out in the ether. You know, well, Maybe we aren't and maybe we are. Sure. He doesn't know. <laughs> we, could, we could just be two robots next to a microphone. Mm -hmm. Like, I like Halloween. Um, okay. And the other thing is, it's right there. I, I put it on the desk next to it. It's under the computer. Not the rubber band. Not the rubber band. Not so much. Uh-huh. Yes. It's the first issue of the independently published comic kit and cat got bats for brains yes you and i were looking at this a couple of weeks ago right and that one as well as a couple of little uh, figures you can yes i was up. playing with those those came to us from a uh, listener kevin Sheely, and they're kind of a spooky but fun comics for which he has made the first one where uh kit and his friend who it's like they like each other but they never seem to be on the same page. He's always chasing the paranormal, and she's always chasing him. Seems to be how it goes. You know? They're after cryptids. Yeah, he's after uh, Bigfoot, and she's like, but there's so much in the world. Why you gotta find Bigfoot? But I'll still come with you and wait outside, which is how that image in particular of her just sitting out waiting for Bigfoot to come. Yeah. Because today I watched Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. It's a very uh, Linus and Sally relationship. <laughs> It's so. This, but but this, she's got a little more going on upstairs than uh -huh. than Sally. Uh, this she's, is really beautiful. The I mean. Second story. He tries to commune with the dead, and gets a phone call. Is it the dead or really is it just cat? <laughs> you ask yourself that all the time, don't you? Whenever I get a text from cat, it, <laughs> it also means spooky fun. Well, this is really impressive, and I can't even imagine how much work it takes to put together something like this. It's so cool. If we've piqued your interest, you can find them on Facebook.com slash creepy with a K. Kev's art, K-E-V-S-A-R-T. Should be easy to find. Not a lot of things out there called Kit and Cat Have Bats for Brains. Yeah. Again, that's Kevin Sheely. I'm, yeah, I'm promoting it to you. Creepy Kevin. Mostly so, so cool. later when he creates another one, and he said that he's uh, making a Plan 9 from Outer Space themed. Oh my gosh. One. And I'm like, I want that mailed to me. I should really mention his uh, work on the show. <laughs> so it's all about you. So he will continue to send me these comics, which is in itself an endorsement. Mm. 
Like, for right? sure. Absolutely. Because you want it that badly. Yeah. I want to read the next one enough Absolutely. that I want to talk about it with Kat. So thank you, Kevin, for thinking of us as like-minded people who can also reach like-minded people with our microphone. That's right. Oh, he said that uh, I exchanged a few emails with him concerning the comic. He said he kind of based Spunky Cat off of PJ Souls. Um, wow. Yeah. That's, she's got spunk. Specifically uh, after uh, Riff Rafkin, her character in Rock and Roll High School. And then he sent me a picture of him with PJ Souls. Cool. Because he, he met her and like gave her an autographed copy of the comic. And I was like, hey, you're my Cute. muse. So it's going to be a good Halloween. I got a nice spooky kooky comic to read. And I got... A lot of music to listen to. And I got my friend Kat. And I got my friend Marshall. And what more do you need? Besides a good Ray Bradbury book, a corresponding cartoon. Some cinnamon-laden apple slices. A dark ride in the happiest place on earth. And a, what would you say? Is it a cult movie? The WNUF? absolutely. Definitely Underground. And then Underground's next... uh, you know, Caterpillar to Butterfly becomes cult. Mm-hmm. I tried to find some t-shirts of it as if that would, like, confirm for me that it has a cult status and I couldn't find any. But maybe they're just a little slow in the t-shirt I making. I think it has a growing cult status. I think give it another couple of years and it's it's then like you'll be you'll able all, to find a t-shirt. You'll all just know every, somebody. Everybody will know somebody who's seen it. Yeah. That's the next step. And maybe that person can be you if you check out the uh, WNUF Halloween special. And uh, Kat, any final words? I can think of a few. Just to impart to our, our listeners. Sure. I'm sure I can come up with something. Yeah. Beware the moon. Crash. Wait. Oh. Beware the Halloween moon. Yeah. Decay. <laughs>